Hey, we're going to continue today in this series entitled Awe. When's the last time you were in awe of something or someone where it just kind of maybe took your breath away? There was wonder, there was wow, there was an amazement of something. I mean, this is maybe for some of you, it was a ride at Disney or something. I don't know. Maybe it was your wife's casserole that she cooked or, or what have you. But when's the last time you were just in awe? We, we're on this journey to, to have a proper view of who God is because he is awesome, is he not? And in he, if there's anything that we can set our gaze upon today, if there's anyone that we should look to for direction and, and purpose and meaning and just what life is all about, man, I pray today, our greatest desire is that you would, would just see God for who he truly is. We have a word that we're operating with. Our word for the year is the word revival. And I was reminded in, in preparing for today and, and looking at our story that we're going to look at from God's word, that, that re, revival is what God wants to bring. Revival, it means to, to awaken something that's, that's been asleep for a long time. I was at the Veterans Day um, celebration with Colonel Colonel White here, and, and him and he was dressed up. Man, those, bad, those uh, medals were shiny and and, and you, you looked great, Colonel. Um, um, you look great today, but not as good as you did Thursday. But, but I'll never forget one of the things that a speaker said. <clears throat> I think it was uh, the, 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 the Japanese commander after Pearl Harbor said, I fear that we've just awakened a sleeping giant, right? After that. <clears throat> and, 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 and I pray that somehow as we consider revival, that there would be an awakening take place in us. Because if something needs revived, it means it's asleep. It means that it's not functioning and operating like it was intended to do. And would you agree that we, as a nation, need revival? We, as God's people, need revival. We, as a church, need revival. This world needs revival. It needs to be reawakened. It needs to be put back into its place, its proper place, the place that God had intended when he created it all. Amen? And I was reminded of this thing of revival and awe as we journey together today, that revival will come when we truly see God for who he is. See, this revival, this awakening, what God needs to do in our land and our nation will come whenever we have the proper view of who he is. I think there are some of, we, we, we just don't see God in all of his grandeur. We don't see God with, with all of the power that he, he possesses. We, 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 we don't understand the holiness and, and what that means in our lives. We just don't see God for who he truly is. And so I'm praying for revival and that will come as we have this proper view of who God really is. Today, we're going to look at an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah, because in Isaiah chapter six, uh, uh, he has a view of God that is a view unlike any other. I mean, th 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 this view far surpasses any view you've ever seen on a, on a lofty perch of, of any kind, right? Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six <clears throat> gets a view of God <clears throat> that literally transforms his life. And that's our prayer for you today. For some of you here today, you need to understand this. When you get a clear picture as to who God is, your life will be transformed. 
Jonathan Mallard just bore witness to that. Amen. And so our goal is for some of you that have never, first of all, seen Jesus Christ and his love and his mercy and his grace that he's demonstrated to you. You've never come face to face with the life that he wants to offer you. Our first prayer today would be that you would get a view of a savior that is madly in love with you. He's not mad at you. He's not out to condemn you. He's for you. And he came to give you life. He sacrificed his so that you could have one. He gave up his life so you could have it. Or for others in this room today that have received Christ, but maybe let's just be real. Your view of God has waned and it's not as big as it used to be. Life has taken over. and Maybe you've gotten a man, a little, thank you. Excuse me. Just talk amongst yourselves. But maybe your view of God because of life is, is just not as lofty as it once was. Or maybe you've got accustomed to, to trying to do it on your own without his help. Today, I'm praying that as we look at this Old Testament prophet Isaiah and understand how he saw God and the transformation it brought to his life, I'm praying that will happen for you as well. Now, before we get to chapter six, you need to understand some things about chapter five. God's chosen people was the nation of Israel. And time and time again, God had provided, God had seen them through, but yet time and time again, they turned their back on him. I know that we would never do that in the day and age in which we live in, right? But it's, it was a, a, a biblical problem. In reality, it's still a problem even for us today. But in chapter five, this prophet begins to pronounce some woes against Israel for turning their back on him. Things like covetousness and drunkenness, things of, of pride, things of, 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 of just confusion. And, and, and all these things were just running rampant there. And, 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 and Isaiah is trying to get the nation to understand these things because if they don't repent, if they don't stop and turn back to God, well, there is a judgment that will come. But God loves people and God always wants to give us another chance to repent and turn from our wicked ways and, and return to doing those things that he desires and those things that he's modeled and called us to. He wants us to live that way. And so in chapter six, we read about an encounter that Isaiah has a view that he has one day in the temple. And whether Isaiah goes to the temple to offer sacrifices this day or just goes in order to, to pray. We're not quite sure, but, but let me read the word of the Lord to you as it says happens here in verse beginning in verse one. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, that I saw the Lord. King Uzziah reigned for 52 years. They were prosperous years. But King Uzziah, again, began, be, became mm, sick. Became sick spiritually, but he actually became sick physically as well because of his spiritual sickness and him overstepping his boundaries and trying to assume roles and do things that were not God ordained, he actually became physically sick. He developed a, a, a skin disease called leprosy. And his remainder of his years, he, he spent isolated, as was common back in the day, for lepers to kind of isolate themselves from the general public for fear that other people would catch the disease as well. So even though Isaiah started out strong, he finds himself, he dies a very lonely man, separated from his people and from his kingdom. And Isaiah says, it was in this year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. 
And he was sitting on a lofty throne. Some translations say he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their eyes. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies or the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. That's why we haze it up in here. (laughs) Just kidding. That's not, I'm just saying, if you're listening, the word of the Lord is good. Is it not? Let's continue. He says, Isaiah, when he sees all this, and when he hears this verse five says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man and I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a, a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Come on, somebody. There can be a coal and tong moment for someone in this house today. Verse eight says, Isaiah said, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. I love this picture and this view that Isaiah has of the Lord in his temple. When Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple, he, he, he begins to, to speak of the incredible majesty represented there. He, he, he begins to, to, to speak of these, these creatures known as seraphim, that, 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 that flew around and, and not only were they flying, but they were chanting, they were singing, they were worshiping God. He, he see that it says the train of his robe. Some theologians say it wasn't like a necessarily a bridal train of a, of a wedding gown that we might see a bride enter in with, but it might've just been just the hem of his garment. That's how lofty, that's how awesome, that's how grand God is. But it filled this temple, this scene that Isaiah has a vision of. Not only is there singing, but this singing causes the foundation to shake and rattle. I'm telling you, man, worship changes things, does it not? It changes things. Not only that, but then there was smoke that engulfed this temple of God as well. Isaiah, that's what he is beholding. That is what he is seeing. And it messes him up. It'd mess you up too, though, wouldn't it? He says, I saw the Lord. You know, we looked at a character last week, Moses, and Moses also made the same decree. Lord, would you just show me your presence, right? And Moses, you can't handle me, bro. I'm too awesome. That's kind of a modern 
Jason translation, but, but it says that he hides him behind in the cleft of the rocks and that what Moses was able to just see would be the backside, the glory train of who God is, right? No one can handle looking upon God in all of his majesty and grandeur and power and glory. He's just too much. Have you seen God from that perspective? Or do we just see him as, oh, he's just good and he's just something ethereal and just doing what he does? He's a genie in a bottle that's on our beck and call and command and He's supposed to work things all together for my good. That's what it says in Romans, right? And, but I love this prophet. And you know, a prophet is, is, was the mouthpiece of God in the, in the Old Testament days. A prophet would show up and deliver a word to, to the king or to the people on behalf of God. It could be a good word or it could be a bad word. It was the 50-50. You never knew when a prophet showed up where it was going to go. But yeah, this is a man of God. And a man who, who, who knows God and has been called by God. But yet in this moment, what he sees, his relationship with the God goes to the next level. He's transformed in a way that we need today. Remember, 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 remember I said that revival will come when we truly see God for who he is. Transformation and revival came to Isaiah's life when he saw God for who he truly is, his majesty, his glory, that train, utter dominance of the temple, right? God was his focus. Listen, so many times I think that, that we get so caught up in, in experiences with God or a revelation or a divine encounter with God. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in those moments and forget the one who's behind it all. You see, Isaiah's reminding us here in Isaiah chapter six that, listen, God was his focus. I saw the Lord. And even these other things that he begins to refer to in chapter six, all the other things were just supporting and focusing everything back to God. I'm telling you, when you live your life with God as the focus, that is when you will live life better. So many of us, I think we get so caught up. I need a mountaintop experience. And, and we know there's valleys that, uh, listen, let's see God for who he is and keep him as our focus. Wow. They're singing holy, holy, holy. Isaiah's hearing this. These creatures, these, these beings are just, they're, they're just chanting about the holiness of God. That's all he's, it shakes the temple. It's filled with smoke. And I love the response of Isaiah as he sees all of this. I am doomed. He says, whoa. You remember when Arthur Fonzarelli used to say, whoa, that meant something bad or something major was happening. Isaiah's having a woe moment. Some translations, he says, woe is me. But here's what I love about this story. Isaiah sees God in all of his majesty and holiness, and then he begins to see himself in comparison to that. And he understands, I'm filthy. I'm doomed. In fact, I think it's interesting to pull out in this story that 
Isaiah, although he had every right, he's a prophet and he had every right to begin to point at other people's fallacies. He could point to Israel's downfall and their, their corruptness. He could, he could have quoted Jesus ahead of time before Jesus would ever quote it about pulling the plank out of your eye before you look. No, 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 but that's not what he does. He says, I am filthy. I am unclean. I am doomed. Isaiah makes the declaration long before he points his finger at anybody else. Hey, listen, I have filthy lips. You see, this prophet, this man of God is understanding his sinfulness and his wickedness. He's understanding his pride. He's understanding his unrighteousness in the presence and the holiness of God. Long before he ever points out anything else going on around him, he lets this moment do a work in him first. You know, that word holiness means morally perfect. It means pure. It means to be set apart from all sin. And this prophet, this man of God comes to that place where he understands, man, I'm not as good as I think I am. The story doesn't end there in his brokenness because God is a God of mercy and God is a God of forgiveness. And God wasn't finished with this prophet Isaiah in all of his sinfulness. And somebody needs to hear that today because you think you're done or you're too far gone. Let me just remind you what happens here. One of these seraphim and they get their name from the word burn. They were kind of emblazoned. They were on fire. Anytime you read about fire in the Old Testament, it speaks to God's holiness. So these are holy creatures in the presence of a holier God. It says one of these creatures takes a coal from the altar. And this was no joke of a fire. This was on fire. It was a burning coal. How do we know that? Because they had to use tongs to carry it. They use these tongs and Isaiah and all of his sinfulness and understanding his brokenness. God not finished with him yet. This created being comes and touches his filthy lips that he's already declared and purifies and cleanses him. Hallelujah. Your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Aren't you thankful? There's a God of forgiveness, a God of grace, a God of mercy. It transformed Isaiah's life. As if cleansing and confession was not enough, we also find that in order for God to use this prophet to continue to go, and you need to read the rest of Isaiah because he does go and begin to speak to the people on God's behalf, but he had to be cleansed, he had to confess his sin, and he had to submit to God for God to use him for his glory. But let me just remind you of something. It wasn't the coal that forgave Isaiah of his sin, it was God. You know, there has been a lot said and there's been a lot that I've been looking at my own life for a long time in the sin in my life. And there's been a lot said over the last several weeks about 
my sin and me as well. And I have been in a place like Isaiah where I have felt filthy. And I have felt that I am doomed. And I have felt like there is no hope for me. Anybody else ever been there? But I've come to that place in my life where I have sought the Lord of my arrogance and my pride, my being, uh, using other people's sermon materials and not giving proper credit, my being mean-spirited, my not listening to wise counsel and wisdom and seeking that, I have been brought to that place where I've asked God, God, I just need you to forgive me. And you know what God does with the person when they do that? He meets them. And he does that in their life. And as painful as a process that that might be, there's a purpose for it all. I don't think Isaiah felt good about this moment when he saw God in all of his glory, but yet when he saw himself as sinful, filthy, but yet it was necessary in order for him to say, Lord, I'm now ready for you to use me in the land and in the midst of a people that I live among that he said, have filthy lips. God, I'm now ready. The pain was worth it. There's something beautiful that comes in the confessing and the cleansing that God wants to bring in our lives. And I'm just wondering today what you might be missing out on, what I might be missing out on when I don't give the Father the opportunity to work in me, like I see here in Isaiah 6. What more does God have in store for you that you might just be missing? Could maybe today we come to that place where we understand that if I'm not dead, God's not done and there's still more that he wants to do in my life. Could, could we somehow get us to a place? Hey, church, we're praying for revival, but in order for revival to come, we've been talking about this, that there's got to be a work in us first before there can ever be a work through us. So today, can we just play a little bit? And I just want to to give us an opportunity to respond in this moment for whatever God might be speaking to you. And and you're welcome to sit. You're welcome to stand. You're welcome to come and, and kneel at the altar today. But can we just have a vision of the Lord? that might move us to a place when we understand who he truly is and where we fare in comparison to him.
could, could, could we somehow ask of God right now, Father, would you cleanse me? Father, I confess this. Father, would you purify me? Lord, bring the fire. Bring the holiness, God. God, I want to be your servant. God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to be an agent of revival in our nation. But God, it first starts in me. Let's just let the Lord work right now. to the Father. We find grace and we find mercy there. We find forgiveness. I, I love that we worship a God that's not holding our sin and our junk and our funk over us. If that's who he was, we would all be doomed. You know that, right? There would be no hope, but that's not who he is. I don't find in scripture, God keeping a ledger of our sin and our shortcomings. I but what I do find is forgiveness to those who run to the Father, who fall into grace, those who are tired of hiding and, and ready to just repent of that. And, and let me just remind you that, that that's who we're called to be also. Not for us just to receive the love and grace and mercy of a good God in heaven, but he wants us to display that and give it to others as well. Are you with me today? In fact, in Matthew chapter six, after he teaches us how to pray, and in fact, part of that, that Lord's prayer is, is you know, for us to forgive others. And Jesus would say this in 
verse 17. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. It's written in red in my Bible, symbolic of the very words of Jesus. Listen, if we're going to be a house that finds and restores, the reality is there are going to be more Jonathan Mallards that walk into this room. There are going to be more broken people that are in need of love and forgiveness. And for us not to demonstrate that, even though we've been given it, shame on us. The Bible would call that sin. Anybody grow up in Awanas? Come on, somebody. Yeah, you remember running around that square and getting nauseous and dizzy and all that? Here's what I remember, though, being taught the Word of God and memorizing stuff. And I remember learning this verse at an early age, and I find it very fitting for us today. It's found in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. When I think about the forgiveness of God, and when I think about how I am to be a dispenser of that same forgiveness, Ephesians 4.32 would say, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. That's all I got. Let's just stand up and pray. God, thank you for your goodness and your mercy, for your love, for your forgiveness. Father, I thank you for the reminder that I needed today through a man by the name of Isaiah about what my position needs to be in your presence. I'm filthy. I'm broken. I am undone. But God, I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer for those that confess, for the cleansing that comes our way, although it might be painful. God, we thank you for that. And Father, as a result, I pray for all of us that we would be forgiven, cleansed, but more importantly, God, that we would be sent out just as you sent your prophet, Isaiah. And God, may we live for you. May we pursue holiness. God, may we put you on display. God, may we be quick to love and to issue the same things that you've given us. And God, it's not for our glory. It's not so that we can be built up. It's not so that others look at us and say, wow, you're incredible. No, 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 no. We always want to point people to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.